Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Landon Johnson as he shares this week's message. Morning, everybody. I'm uh, getting over a little something, so I've got my tissues, and I have to beg your forgiveness if I'm a little low energy up here this morning, but... uh, Happy to say we have a very loving congregation, so I'm not too worried. <clears throat> Today's message is entitled, The Least Spark of Grace, and I'm hopeful that it will be an encouragement to you as we go through some selected texts. <clears throat> I'm also happy to say that uh, the primary theme of today's message is on weakness, so that works out really well for me, They're preaching on weakness. <clears throat> so how many of you feel tired? Out of curiosity, pretty tired, yeah. Uh, physically tired, I know, is something we often feel, but uh, what about other kinds of tired, like emotionally tired? You've been fighting for a really long time against something that really weighs heavily on your heart, or the fight against sin, or the fight against culture, or against politics, or any of the things in your life that weigh down. We just feel very tired, I think, a lot of us. Um, and this is gonna sound like not good advice, or at least, uh, Weird advice, but I promise it's good when we get to the end. But my advice to you is give up. I promise it's a good thing to do, and you'll understand why when we get to the end, so just hold on to that for a second. The advice is to give up. So in Romans 5, 6, God tells us, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So this morning, we're going to examine how God responds to weak faith so that we can have comfort despite our failures. We're going to examine how God responds to weak faith, something I think we can all sympathize with, so that we can have comfort despite our failures. Pray with me, if you would, before we jump into the text. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you give me a strength of voice and body to just uh, make it through and to convey your message. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, the, the truth and power of your word uh, is not dependent upon the speaker, but it's dependent upon your Holy Spirit and it working in the hearts of the listeners. So please help everyone here to remain attentive and to be um, just thinking about uh, what the content of uh, your word and what it teaches us. And I'd be able to just look right past uh, uh, the weakness of the messenger who is bringing it to them. I pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so what we're going to do is we're going to look through God's response to various examples of weak faith. And uh, by looking at those uh, responses, we'll be able to get a picture into how God uh, sees weak faith and then how he responds to it. And as we go through, you'll notice um, it's going to be chunks of scripture. There's going to be portions of the verses that are bold and italicized. Those are the example of weakness. And then there'll be a portion of the scripture that is highlighted red. That's God's response. So the first thing we're going to look at is God's response to a rebellious nation, which feels very apropos for today. How does God respond to a rebellious nation? So we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah 65, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. This is God speaking. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. 
a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, don't come near me, I'm too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. So we get to see God's response there. This is a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good. They follow their own devices. God's response to that, he meets out judgment, yes, but he also preserves the faithful. He doesn't allow them to be overcome. So what about God's response to doubting Jesus? Seems like a pretty heavy thing. This is going to be from John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Our old friend doubting Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hand the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's pretty heavy words. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So what was God's response there <clears throat> to a man who doubted Jesus? His response was to provide proof, to give him what he needed to believe. Let's take a look at another, God's response to doubting scripture, his very word. This is going to be a collection of two, or a collection of verses from Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. This is the gentleman on the road to Emmaus. <clears throat> that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Our chief priests and rulers delivered Jesus up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They thought he was the Messiah, but then he had died. And they were convinced he couldn't have been the right guy. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer those things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So to those who doubted scriptures, who saw that the Messiah must suffer, and yet when he did, they doubted, God's response was to teach and to train. What about those who doubt God's power? I'm sure this is something we can all feel. You want something in your life, you pray to God that it would be so, and yet feels like 
I don't know if God's going to do this for me. I don't know if he can do this for me. How does God respond to people who have that weak faith? This is going to be from Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 20. And they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if I can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, and he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. God's response to this man who doubted his power, who said, If you can do anything, was to miraculously intervene. What about God's response to the apathetic? I think this is one that really hits home for a lot. A lot of us, I know it's something that I've struggled with a lot over the years. What if you just don't care, but you want to care? You know you should, but you don't. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where God talks to the seven churches. <clears throat> Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel in the church of Ephesus, God says, I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And then moving to chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. To those of us who find we're struggling with just not caring, God's response to us is to remember his love. He doesn't crush us. He tells us to come back to him. What about those of us who are given to self-pity? This is something that assails us a lot in our current uh, culture just because we have such a culture of victimization. What happens if you're constantly thinking you've got it worse than the next person? How does God respond to that kind of weak faith? Let's go back to Revelation 2 again to the angel in the church of Smyrna. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So God's response to those who self-pity, who think they've got it worse than the next person, God doesn't tell you he's gonna pull away those sufferings. He says, be ready for them, but know I'm gonna give you a crown of life. He gives you reassurance that there is something good coming. What about heavy sins like idolatry and sexual sin? What is God's response to those things? We're going to go back to our churches in Revelation again, chapter 2. To the church in Pergamum, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Repent, he says. Later in chapter 2, to the church of Thyatira, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
Only hold fast to what you have until I come. So even in the face of heavy, heavy sins, idolatry, sexual immorality, does God crush us? Does he push us away? No. God's response is repent. He calls us to repent. What about God's response to the impatient? Those of us who really want something now, even when we're in the face of something that's really heavy, I think of my brother Gary struggling to find a place for his family. Man, talk about being impatient for something. That is, you want to have your family housed. You want to make sure they have a place to stay. And yet you have to wait on God's timing for that. And praise God, he has provided. Let's look at Revelation 3, see what God says about the impatient. And to the angel in the church of Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. You're stuck in a spot. There's an open door in front of you, and yet you don't have the power to pass through it. God tells you, hold fast. He encourages you. He gives you the means to know that even if it's not happening in the timing that you want it to happen, God is faithful, and he will be there with you. What about the lazy? God responds to the lazy. I think this is some of us too. Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. You're just kind of indifferent. You don't do much. I would that you were either cold or hot. Those whom I love, God says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There is so much reason for us to respond well to God, and yet sometimes we're just lazy. God's response is to discipline us like a loving father and then to invite us in back to his home, back to uh, a close relationship with him. And then perhaps the most heavy of all of them, what about betrayal? When we openly deny our association with God because we're worried about the consequences or we're ashamed or we want the praise of society, what does God do when we betray him? We're going to look at the Apostle Peter. We're going to start in uh, Luke chapter 22 and then move to John 21. This is starting in verse 55. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him, him being Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Sorry. 
can understand Peter weeping bitterly at that. But when Christ is resurrected and he is sitting with his disciples again, look at how he responds. This is bouncing to John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I loved you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter betrayed Jesus. Three times he denied knowing him. And then three times God restores Peter. He puts him back in a position of trust. Even though you denied me three times, three times he tells him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This is a father trusting someone who betrayed him with his children. So let's go back over our list again. We have a lot of things that we have failed in. We're rebellious. We doubt Jesus. We doubt scripture. We doubt God's power. We're apathetic. We're self-peating. We're idolatrous and sexually immoral, impatient, lazy, and we betray. I dare say there's not a single person sitting in this congregation right now who doesn't fit one of those things, and you probably fit multiple. I know I do. But I told you this was encouraging. It was a pretty, pretty heavy uh, list right there to go through, but I'm happy to say that God's responses to all these things are loving. He preserves the faithful. He gives us proof. He teaches us and he trains us. He intervenes miraculously on our behalf. He tells us to remember his love. He reassures us, calls us to repent, encourages us, disciplines us, and invites us in. And perhaps most importantly, he restores us to a relationship with him. And so we get to come back to that famous passage from Matthew. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, <clears throat> which is to say we suck. We want to do things. We know the right thing to do, and yet how often do we just not do it? We are so, so weak. So now we're gonna wrap back to what I told you to hold on to the very beginning. Just give up. Doesn't sound very encouraging at first blush, but let me set it in this context for you real quick. You need to give up on yourself because you're never gonna be able to pull it off. But when you give up on yourself and then focus on God, that's when amazing things can happen. So if you remember nothing else from this sermon, I want you to focus in on this one thing. No matter how hard you try, you will never succeed by yourself. 
absolute statement. But in Christ, no matter how often you fall, you will never fail. Also an absolute statement. Hold on to those two things. Give up on yourself so that you can throw yourself at Jesus. So let's turn for just a quick second to how God comforts us. Let's look at God's comfort for the prayerful. This is in Psalm chapter 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. What about God's comfort for the contrite, the humble? This is Isaiah 57. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Then finally, what about God's comfort for his followers? This was the passage that we read at the beginning of service from Matthew 15. Jesus called to his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. So what are the three things that we can do in giving up on ourselves and turning to Christ that will help us in this mission? I want you to remember these three things and bury them deep in your heart so that when you're wondering, what in the world can I do, these are the three. You need to pray, you need to be humble, and you need to follow. And those things, even if you don't feel like doing them, even if you're not you're struggling with a sin in your life, whatever it is, these three things will slowly reorient your heart to the way that it should be. When you pray, you will build a relationship with God. The same way when we gather together for a small group, when we gather together Sunday mornings, first Sunday, when you hang out with your best friend, you build a relationship because you talk with each other. When you pray to God, when you have that conversation with him, you will build a relationship with him. You need to be humble so that when God speaks to you through his word, you can accept the correction that you find there. You can believe the words that he tells you to believe. And then you need to follow. Even though you might not know why you're doing it, even though you might be like one of those people that simply followed Jesus around because he was the famous guy, follow him, and in following him, you will see the things that he does for you. Pray, be humble, and follow and you will find that your heart, slowly but surely, if you're struggling with apathy because you don't care, you will find that you are remembering the love that God has for you, and that will bring you closer to him. If you are struggling with a deep-seated sin in your life, you will find that your desire for that sin is slowly but surely pulled away from you, and your heart will be oriented toward God instead. All of the things that we have in our lives that we struggle with, God will give us mercy if we will cut back to him. So again, the one thing to remember this morning, if you remember nothing else from this, and since this is a pretty short sermon, you focus in, pull all that attention that you are going to normally spread out over the course of an hour and bring it right here. No matter how hard you try, 
you will never succeed by yourself. But in Christ, no matter how often you fail, you fall, you will never fail. We can get crushed so much by the need to hit a certain mark by reading about people from history who have done such incredible work for God, and we think, I'm never going to get there. You know what? You probably won't. There's only so many John Calvins in the world. There's only so many John Pipers in the world. I suppose if your name was John, you'd probably have a better chance at it. But yeah, it seems like there's a lot of good John. Yeah, there's a lot of good Johns out there. Uh, for those of us not named John, Looking at examples can be encouraging because we know where we can aspire to. But God has given faith and portion to each according to what he knows you can do. He has prepared works beforehand for you, knowing that you can complete them and knowing that he has chosen you before the foundation of the world to do them. When you feel discouraged, remember how God responds to weak faith. He does something that draws you back into him, that gives you a path forward. He doesn't crush you. He doesn't push you away. He provides you with a means of escape so that you can grow in your faith and your love for him. So be encouraged this morning. Leave remembering that it doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with Christ. So Randy, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Is Randy doing our prayer? Oh, it's Rob. Sorry. Rob's going to come up, close us in prayer. And as he does so, I want you to remember that that very first one we have is to pray. Be humble and follow. So as we pray, Please give attention to uh, Rob's prayer. Remember that that is one of the best ways that we build a relationship with God. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.